0: Listen, uh, I was thinking about this when I was driving here, wondering who is going to be here tonight. Because as you, some of you may know, the draft is happening. And so I was, I was thinking in my head, you know, if they show up to the church, those are remarkable men. Like, you know, they chose to be at the church in, instead of watching the draft. And then I remember as well, you know, the majority of you are Browns fans, so you know your place. You know that you're not missing out much by being watching the draft. The history will still remain the same, Unfortunately. Uh, I know, I know. I, I am a Browns fan, surprisingly. I, you know, I, I had a clean slate. of. Pick, I could pick any team. And for some reason I chose the Browns. I could have picked any team when I moved here to the U.S. But, you know, that's why I'm a Yankees fan. Uh, the team of the Lord. Uh, but let's take a moment and pray as we discuss today uh, the, the type of men that God makes. All right. Lord, thank you so much for tonight. Thank you for the opportunity that it is to study your word. Thank you for the privilege that it is to... Uh, see the examples in the Bible of godly men that you have used throughout uh, the history, of Lord, that you have used them to do great things for you, Lord. And I pray, Father, that as we continue to do this series, that we will look at our example and that we will emulate it in our life, that we will choose to imitate that, that we will choose to do the same thing, Lord, so that we can bring you glory in all areas of our life. Father, we pray that tonight you speak through me and that you will read me of myself and that it will be your message and not my own. We pray this in your name. Amen. So throughout history, there are things that have been invented, things that you and I will come across, things that you and I would uh, interact with or that we will witness or that we would see that either at first it will be of an impact or maybe throughout our life we would come across the same thing over and over. So they lose that effect of like awesomeness or it lose that effect of like being in shock because we get accustomed to that. And many of those things, if you're anything like me, you probably don't ever stop to wonder, man. I wonder how they were created. I wonder what led for individuals to create this stuff. For instance, the telescope. Have you ever wondered what led for people to create the telescope? I think I'm starting to right, but if not, bear with me. The idea of like, how will someone like how what led for someone to create something like this? Well, history will say that in the early 1800s, there was a French doctor. That had an opportunity with a patient to that was a female young patient that he was going to give her an assessment of her health. Well, at the time, the way that doctors would deal with, uh, or the, the the way that doctors will navigate the waters of assessment is that they will grab their fingers and they will tap on the patient's chest. And as you could imagine, that created some level of discomfort and awkwardness. Especially more back then when th- people were more reserved than what we see today. And so this doctor, to save himself some embarrassment and to save the, the patient, the, this young female patient, from going from that, he, he grabbed a piece of sheet. Of sheet he rolled it up. He did one of these things. And then he put it on her chest, kind of like this. And that's how history said that he, it was invented. So it was in around 18. 16, that the first telescope was invented, made out of wood tube. And then you have a T-shirt. Have you ever wondered what led for the T-shirt to be built or to be made? It was in the early 1900s that back then men would only wear one type of apparel when it came to their undergarments. It was a shirt that had buttons. Now today it may not meet in months but back then it was a significant problem if you were a single individual. Because as you can imagine, a button, if you're not careful, you will lose it. And if you were single back then, uh, chances were that you did not know how to, sew, how to sew something. So if you don't have a mother, if you didn't have a wife, if you didn't have a sister, you were left by yourself without a t-shirt or without a shirt. You had a, tr- a trouble. So this company, uh, which I believe the name of the company, so I don't butcher, is the name of the company was the Copper Underwear Company. They ran this ad. Where they were advertising this brand-new invent, invent, invent that they were advertising a T-shirt, a shirt that did not require a button, that it should be worn by every single man. And as you could imagine, it was a hit. Because now if you were single, you no longer had to be single. You found the solution of singleness by wearing that shirt. Not really, you still were single. But now you didn't have to deal with buttons. It was fixed. And so you see that things that we wear, and I mean, I see some of you even wearing a t-shirt tonight. That is something that we wear on a regular basis. But we don't ever stop and wonder, man, how did that get invented? What led for somebody to invent something like this? Your shoes, your cars, your keys, uh, your glasses. What led for individuals to build those things? But you will find that all of the great inventions in life. The things that you and I come across with, they have an origin story. They have a background. Something happened that led for individuals of a group of people to come together and to invent or to come to, to find a solution or to do something. And a lot of those things carries the idea of a word called burden. A burden, and just so that we all are on the same way or on the same level, a burden, we're we'll going to define it like this. An intellectual or emotional weight. Caused by something worrisome that needs to be dealt with. This idea of a burden that carries the idea of not only rationality, not only what you're thinking, not only what you understand is right or wrong, but also the emotions that comes with it. That passion from within, that necessity for you to do something because you observe that something has happened that shouldn't have happened. And so you find yourself in a position where you need to do something about it. At least that's the idea. A burden is an intellectual and emotional weight caused by something that worrisome, that is concerning, that needs to be dealt with uh, in, in, in history. And so the thing about burden from the get-go is something that I personally am very passionate about. And one of the reasons why is because I feel like as, as church, as believers, we don't really talk about it. We don't really talk about the idea of burden. And yet, if you go in the Bible, it is throughout the Old and the New Testament, you see the importance of burden. How it is something that God will utilize to move people into action. How great names like David... As he was in his minding his own business and he hears the story of a, of a soldier that is standing in front of the holy army. And that is, com, is, profan, is profaning, the name, using the name of God in vain. That is the same profanities that he's making fun of this holy nation. And he sends this burden, this intellectual yet emotional burden to do something about this and to step up. And in a lesser way, or maybe not in a lesser way, but in a, in, in a different way, you have in the New Testament, Paul, how he's ministering to this group of believers that were not Jews in, in nature. That they were just, they just heard the good news of the gospel and they have made decision to follow Jesus. And then out of nowhere, you have the apostle Peter, the great leader. Who gets to spend time with them, but then out of nowhere they see a group of Jews that start coming. And now Peter segregates himself from the Gentile or from the non-Jewish. And he's having an enmity with them. And this burden, this necessity that Paul sends to step up and to confront even someone of the stature of Peter. So you see throughout the Bible and throughout history, you see that there is movement. That there is things that have happened because men and women have felt the urge to step up. They see the necessity, they sense the call of God, the burden, this intellectual yet emotional decision to do something about something that is worrisome. And as men who have been called but also designed to be the leaders at home, at at school, at our works, at our church, we have to take this idea of of burden serious. It's not something that we can push on the side, ignore. It's something that we should be serious about. And so tonight we're going to look at the example of Nehemiah. I think that Nehemiah shows a great example of a man that chooses to follow that burden. That he he had all the rights or all the position to ignore it. And yet you see in him a man that was willing to give everything up to follow this steering within his heart. To do something for the glory of God. And so if you have your Bibles and also it's going to be on the screen. We're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 1. And we're just going to go read through Nehemiah the whole chapter 1. It starts like this. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev, in the tw- in 20th year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, The remnant there in the province who had survived the exile in the great trouble is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. So before we continue, just a little bit of a context. The nation of Israel, this great nation of God, if you were to look back in in, in older passages of the Bible, they had a promise that God gave him: If you obey me, I will bless you. But if you disobey me, I'm going to give you into other nations. And if you have any recollection of the Old Testament, you will know that time after, after time this is what happened to the nation of Israel. This great nation that got divided into two, that later on were oppressed by the Assyrians and the Babylonians. And part of this oppression was that they were not allowed to be par into Jerusalem, which was this holy city, a place of worship. This is where their temple was. And so now that the Babylonians were not longer in the picture, they had an opportunity to start going back to Jerusalem. And so Nehemiah hears this feedback from his brother. And the feedback that he hears is troublesome. It's not a good news. As we were read, we'll read it again, he, he read this, they came, they came back to him, and this is what he says, "The remnant there in the province who has survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. If you were Nehemiah and you saw your brother coming, you probably were excited. You'd mean to tell me that you just came from Jerusalem? The holy nation, that now you had access to go there and you come back and you're probably excited to hear what he has to say. And the news that he gave him, it's not the one that he would have expected. That what was great one time is not longer great. That things have fell into shambles. And so we will see in the next verse his reaction to it. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept. And mourn for days. And I continue fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before your day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the, sin, the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I, in my fathers house have sinned we have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments the statutes and the rules that you have commanded and commanded your servant moses remember the word that you command, commanded your servant moses saying if you are unfaithful i will scatter you among the peoples but if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them Though you are outcasts are in the outer parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to this place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. Verse 10. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O oh Lord, lay your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was the cupbearer to the king. So in chapter 1, we get an introduction of this man of God named Nehemiah. And if you have never read the book of Nehemiah, you should read it because you're going to be in for a treat. It's a wonderful book that talks about that teaches about faithfulness, that teaches about uh, prayer, that teaches about opposition and how to endure and how to continue uh, being faithful for the sake of the Lord. But in this verse, in this chapter 1, we get to see a picture of the type of man that Nehemiah was. And we get to see as we're doing this series how the type of men that got made, you will see him in Nehemiah an example of somebody that sensed the burden to do something, this intellectual yet emotional decision to interact with something that was worrisome. And like we talked, he heard this great, this terrible news this news that the city of Jerusalem was in shambles, that the walls have fallen down. That for this nation, that, that the, 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 the city of Jerusalem was like this, it was a holy city. It was a, a city where they would go and worship their God. That it was a city that it represented so much of who they were. Now it was open to attacks. It was not safe. It was not what it was, was. And you see in his reaction how that affected him. He gets sit down. He starts to weep. And immediately turns into prayer. This is the example of a man that sense a burden. And early on, I want to ask you the question, have you ever sensed a burden like that in your life? Have you ever sensed a burden that comes not from you, not from this world, but a burden that comes from the Lord? That the Holy Spirit, if you're a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is steering within you to open your eyes to the things around you and for you to do something about it. How this is a broken world, a world that is under the the influence of sin. That every single man from the moment that they're born, they're dealing with sin in their life. That they have a sin nature that propels them to do the things that oppose God. And therefore there is a necessity throughout the world for people of men, for men of God to step up and to do something about it. Have you ever felt that in your life? Have you ever felt that in your workplace? Have you ever felt that with this country? Have you ever felt that in your church? Have you ever felt that with your family? Have you ever felt that in your life? A burden. You see, when a burden comes from the Lord, it will turn into a passionate call to do something for his glory. A God-given burden will turn into a passionate call to do something for his glory. You see, everything, when you see men... And women and believers in general, as they start to follow the Lord, as they're doing things for the Lord, it starts with a burden. A necessity to step up. Now, what the tendency is, because we still have the same nature, is for us to step aside of the burdens and just let it sit and linger. But if you allowed, if we allow that burden to dictate us and we allow that burden to drive us into action, it will not longer be a burden. It will be a call from God for you and I to do something for his glory, in the book of Nehemiah, you will, if you were to read it, you will find how this man felt that burden to do something about this wall. And for the first one to seven, chapter seven, from chapter one to chapter seven, you see him dealing with people and dealing with with the, with this burden of building a wall so that the nation of Israel or that the city of Jerusalem can be protected and that it can be a place of worship that people can come and exalt the name of God. And he felt that burden to be able to do so. And in chapter 1, you see his heart. You see that as he's pleading to God, he's praying and as he's weeping, as he's overwhelmed by the emotions of the terrible news that he heard, he's pleading to God. And he said, God, the the promise that you gave to Moses that if we were to oppose you as a nation, you will deal and you will scatter us throughout the world. Guess what? You're right. We did that. We have done that as a nation. We have sinned against you. We have done everything that opposes you as a nation. And what we got, we totally deserve. Even I and my father's house have sinned against you. But then he turns into a plea. And he turns into a plea where he's asking, put that same promise that you gave, that even if if we were to become faithful, even if we were scattered throughout heaven, you will bring us back and you will make your name dwell. And you will see throughout the rest of the book of Nehemiah how that promise, that commitment, that plea that he had with God will drive him into action. In chapter 2, Nehemiah, chapter 1 ends with that little note, and he was a cupbearer. And in chapter 2, we're told how he proceeds to enter the realm of the king. Now, a cupbearer, if you're not familiar as what a cupbearer was at the time, it was an individual that had to have a level of trust. It was not your average show. It was somebody that was going to be allowed to be in the inner parts of the circle of the king. It was somebody that the king had to trust for two reasons. He had to trust them because they were individuals that will eat the food or drink, the, or drink the, the, the drinks prior to the king doing to make sure that they were safe. But chances were that they had to be present when all of the big important decisions were made or big important conversations were made. Therefore, whoever was in a position of cupbearer, they had to be trustworthy individuals. So... Understanding that and understanding that Nehemiah was an exile, that he was not truly by nature a, a Persian, but that he was a Jew. But the fact that he was part of that position, that he, the, fact that, the fact that he had that position was something remarkable. It was a great position in this kingdom. It was something that, that he should have held dear to it. It was something that, she should have, that he would have embraced, that he probably was, would be proud about it. But notice how quickly he moved from that when he hears the terrible news of what has happened with Jerusalem. That burden exceeded his his position. That burden exceeded his comfort. comfort uh, his comfort that he is willing, as a cupbearer, to proceed into the king's gate or into the king's court and to interact with him and to plead with him. You see, if you were to do, if, you can, if you've done a research, you will know this, that the, key, the cupbearer was somebody that could not be by any means have any level of sadness in his face, that they, had to not all, that they had to make sure that they were joyful, even if they didn't feel joyful, that if they were to influence the mood of the king in any negative way, they would be doomed to death. They would be doomed to pen, uh, the penalty of death. And yet you see in him that despite that he is so overwhelmed by the emotions of the, this news that he proceeds to go to the king. And if you were to read in chapter 2, it will say, then I was very afraid. Or let me take a verse, a verse 2. Verse 1, in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of the king Xerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sat in his presence. He makes it unknown to let let us know as the readers that he had not been sat in the presence of the king before. But this time it was different. This time he was dealing with the burden of what was happening in Jerusalem. And the king said to me, Why is your face sad seeing you are not sick? Why is it that you have this face? You're not even sick. Like why are you the way that you're looking at? This is nothing but sadness of your heart. Then I was very much afraid, Nehemiah said. And so he proceeded, and I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's grave, lies in ruins, and its gates have been destroyed by fire? And even in those verses, you again did to see a reminder of this heart. He was so burdened by what was happening in Jerusalem that it was consuming him. This intellectual yet emotional weight of something that was troublesome. That needed to be dealt with. As men, we have to recognize the importance of burden. Like I said, this is something that we not often talk about. And yet there is a necessity for us to understand that a God-given burden will turn into a passionate call to do something for his glory. Ephesians 2.10 will say this. And, and, and you probably heard this. You probably memorized it by heart. But it will say this. It will talk. It will talk about... In verse 20 in verse 10 it will say for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them in the context paul is talking to a church that have just now be believed that that just was a newer church and they were dealing with some false teachings around it and paul just encouraged them to remind them hey guess what salvation is only through faith alone you can only obtain salvation through what jesus did on the cross that the only merit for salvation is through Jesus. Jesus. But nonetheless, as you believe in the gospel of Jesus, you also have to recognize that there is a calling for your life. That the moment that you believe in this gospel message, that there is an expectation of how you and I should live our life. For we were his workmanship, created in Christ for Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That there is an expectation as men to live in a way that honors him. For you and I to be proactive. For you and I to serve and to follow him and to do things for his glory. But the tendency or the, 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 the challenges, is that because we live in a broken world where sin runs raping, we have a tendency to relax. We have a tendency to look for the couch and to sit. We have a tendency to think... Yes, there is something troublesome happening at my my work. Yeah, there is definitely something troublesome happening at my church. Yeah, there is something troublesome happening in my family, in my community, in my neighbor, and you fill in the blank, but someone else can do that. There's something troublesome happening, but I don't really know how to deal with that, so I'll just let somebody else do it. That that steering within your heart that captivates your intellect but also your emotions to move into action, we are so quick to dim it down. That if it was a candle that was ignited within us, we are so quick to put it down. And think about what this world would be like if men and women of God would ignore the calling to do something for his glory. As a Dominican boy... I'm a byproduct of missionaries from the American country, from the U.S., that were willing to follow that burden to go to a different country to share the news of the gospel. If those men and women that decided to do that would have said no, I probably wouldn't be here today. If Pastor Bush and the elders back in 1995 would have now chosen to start a church here in Akron, Springfield area, Maranatha wouldn't have been here. And you see how even in our church example, how there is ministry and people from this church, and maybe you're here tonight, that you're part of something, that you have seen and you have sensed the necessity to step up. Maybe you see the way that our culture is dealing with the unborn. And you have felt this necessity to do something about it. And so you may have created a ministry or you may have protested or you may have done X, Y, and Z, but you have followed that burden. But imagine what this world would be like if men and women who sensed the leading of the Lord to do something, if they were to say no to that. If they were to just sit on the couch and let somebody else to do it. Think about all the countries of the world that would have not heard the message of the gospel if the man and woman would have chosen not to follow. Think about all the inmates. Think about all those that have made poor decisions. Think about those that are struggling if there wouldn't have been men and women that would be willing to step up and minister to them. Think about the next generation, the youth of our country. That you know and I know is not headed in a good direction. That we know that evil, is it seems like it's prevailing even though we know that at the end it's going to die. It's going to lose. Or it actually has already lost in the cross with Jesus. But even now it gives us the illusion that it's at work and that it's winning. And yet imagine what this world will be if us, the older generation, will not step up to teach and to lead and to minister to the next generation. Where would our country be? Where would our world be? And you see that this idea of a burden is one that we should never ignore. It's something that you see with Nehemiah that he's pleading with God. And he's, he's so consumed by this that he's, he's mourning, he's crying, he's moving to action. And he's recognizing that he has something to do to be able to fix what was wrong with the nation of, of that city of Jerusalem. And as a co-bearer, you could have made the case that he should have led someone else to do that. That he maybe had no background on construction. That he maybe had no background on mathematics. That all he was good for was to take a bite and a drink of a meal. And that was all that he was good for. That's how he got that job. And yet you see that he was willing to put everything aside. Get rid of everything. Even if it meant his life for the sake of following this burden. How do you deal with burdens? How do I deal with burdens? I would be forever thankful for my older brother that when I was walking in a way that dishonored God, he felt the burden to pray for me. And maybe you have heard this story before. Maybe you haven't. But a fun, a fun, a fun story is, that, or an interesting fact of the story is that Pastor Steve and I, who are really good friends today, we didn't know each other until a few years ago. Yet him and my brothers were best, best friends. And little did I know, I actually found this out a few years ago when he moved here, that him and my brother, while I was living in the Dominican Republic, living in a way that was sinful, in a way that was dishonoring to God, him and my brother would get together regularly and pray, and pray that the Lord would intervene in my mind. That my brother felt this burden to, to, to seek for other godly men to pray for me. How different would that be? And the fact that I'm here today, I know that the prayer of the Lord were answer. But how do we react to burdensome? Well, when you continue to read the book of Nehemiah, you find that to be, to be a follower of God, to be a godly man, we cannot be as spectators. You will see you will soon will find that we were created to be active workers, not passive, unengaged spectators. They us as men, especially as men, who are called to be leaders. We're not called to just sit on our couch and let someone else do it. That burden that you sense the Lord is telling you to, to, to step up and to do, it's not for someone else to do it, but for you to do it. And for you to step up. You were created for good works. You are his workmanship. That the moment that you believe in the gospel of Jesus, you are in power with the Holy Spirit. That he who is in you is greater than him out of you. That the Holy Spirit from within you empowers you and gives you the ability, the spiritual gift to be able to step up, not on your own strengths, but on the strength of the Holy Spirit to do something for his glory. That there is not a valuable excuse that you and I could ever come up with as to why we are not to follow the burdens that the Lord laid in our heart. That we were created to be active workers, not passive, unengaged spectators. That we are to get on the court and play And to participate and to be part of the team of other believers that pursue to honor God in all areas of our life. That we recognize that we have a call to make a difference for his glory. Nehemiah will experience difficulties. To have a burden is not an easy thing. Throughout the book of Nehemiah, you see that he faced different things. You will see that he faced the challenge of coming to the king and to talking to the king and to present them this need at the risk of his life being, be, uh, being terminated. And yet he moved past that. That as he started to move people, he come across a nation of, uh, a nation that had dealt with so many things because they were exiled. But now that they were back into the promised land, that they now were, their spirits were broken. So him as a leader needs to step up and motivate people to do something. That it was not an easy task to start this wall, to build this wall. That he had to deal with this discouraged individual. That not only that, the difficulties that he faced. That this city was in complete shambles. That there was nothing good, not good pictures there. And now he had to move people and move himself into action, into collecting whatever needed to be collected. Into gathering people to be able to do what was required to do to build the wall so that Jerusalem could be safe like it was meant to be at that time. The opposition, that he had a group of individuals, the enemies that heard that the nation of Israel was building a wall again. And how they were trying to oppose that. How they were trying to get in the way of this happening. That they came in the form of a friend, but in reality they were trying to delay the work. And Nehemiah had to deal with opposition. Not only that, he had to deal with the people that once they started seeing things going, they were more caught up. On what, the, on what the wall and the temple used to look like than what God was doing in that moment. But again, not only that, he dealt with those that lost the focus. Individuals that I say were... Getting to build the wall. And after the wall was built, there, there were individuals that were, taking, that were oppressing others. That they were taking advantage of others. That that corruption broke, broke uh, out. Even in that moment when God was still doing something. That when God was working in their life to open their eyes to what was wrong, they still chose to take a step back in sin. And Nehemiah had to come back and confront them. And say, hey, this is why we're doing it. We are doing this so that our future generations can have a place of worship. We are doing this so that the name of God can be shared throughout the nation. So that the others may know that how awesome and great our God is. And even at the threat of his life, as he will get letters of, 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 of enemies saying, hey, come to this place. And when they get there, they were plotting to kill him. He had to deal with that and continue his task of building the wall that this was a task that needed to happen. And this burden that was influenced by both intellect and emotional weight that was based on this troublesome news led him to do all of those things for the glory of God. He was not an extraordinary man. He has his flaw that you will find in the book of Nehemiah. He was not perfect. But one thing he did right is that he, let, he allowed that burden to become the calling in his life. And so he proceeded to do whatever he needed to do so that he can see those walls being built around Jerusalem. How do you deal with burden? In a, few, in a minute, I'm going to give you guys an opportunity to discuss. I'm going to give you about 10-15 minutes to discuss four questions. But as you're looking at this for a question that seems somewhat generic, my ask is that you will just focus specifically to things that relate to the Lord. That when when I'm asking what is wrong with America... This is not an opportunity to get politic, politic, political, although they may, that may be a concern of yours, but more importantly, what are things that are happening right now? What is something that is, troubles you that, that bothers you intellectually but also emotionally? Something that you may be losing sleep with, something that may become that, 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 that is present in your heart that something is not right, that is not wrong, and that you need to do something about it. What are those things and then to address them with each other and hopefully this will serve as an opportunity to both encourage but to challenge us to be God, godly men that will step up, that will get out of the couch, and that we will actually get into action, being, being done with being spectators, and doing whatever we need to do to follow that burden, that calling that God will lay in our hearts. The beautiful things about burden is this. is that burdens have many different ways as to how they can be ignited. A burden can be ignited by the fact that you experience something in your life, something good, and you want to reciprocate that with someone else. But in a contrast, it can be that you experience something terrible in your life and you don't want the next person to deal with that. So now you feel this burden to do so. It may be that you see the lack of something around here and you feel that there is something that you can do or that someone can do to step up and to fill that need. That's the beautiful thing about a burden is that it all originates with God. But it doesn't, it doesn't come, it comes from different ways and different venues. And so go ahead and you're gonna have a time to interact with those things. Four questions What burdens you about this world? What burdens you about America? What burdens you about the church? And what are you doing about it? You guys can go ahead and do that. So I was, uh, I was about, let me think for a second, I mean, this would have been about eight, nine years. I had just moved to the U.S., went to uh, Bible college because I wanted to learn about the Bible. And I wanted to, my idea was I wanted to uh, be used by God. And this this school, one of the things that they do throughout the year is that they have a summer camp. And so in this summer, every week they will, they will have, uh, on, on Monday night, they will have what is called a salvation message. And so they'll come and bring a speaker and they'll share the gospel and they will share it to 400, 500 campers that were there each week. And they did this as a way of obviously reaching the next generation for Jesus. So I was a counselor. I was one of the students that had spent a whole year of studying the Bible and I had an opportunity to be with those campers that were in the high high school ages. And I would get to counsel with them. And then at the very end of the week on Fridays, they would do this thing that was called uh, uh, cardboard testimony. I don't know if you're familiarized with that. But essentially it was that you have these campers that made a decision to trust Jesus, to come in front of everybody, and to profess the decision that they made. For instance, they would come and say, you know, I was lost. And then I'm found. Or I was dealing with addiction and through the grace of Jesus, I've been, re- I've been redeemed. And it was a time that you get to see these young, young, stu- young individuals that made very serious decisions for their life. And I remember that even as a Bible student, I will see that happening every single week. And never bothered me. It never has impacted me. And it wasn't until week seven of this happening, that I remember sitting down in the audience, seeing how 20 kids are coming up and sharing their testimony, that I'm sitting there thinking to myself, why am I not being burdened by this? Why am I not being affected by this? These were its students that prior for them coming this week, they, have, they were lost, they were dealing with their sin, they were without hope, and for the grace of God, they have now experienced the good news of the gospel. Why am I not being passionate about this? Why am I not being affected by this? And the reality is, if I'm transparent with you, is that I was apathetic. I got used to the definition of apathy, which I think it fits it fit with me perfectly. It says that, the, let me look, let me open it. The definition of apathy is the lack of interest, enthusiasm, or concern. That things were depraved of me in that moment. And although I was there to learn the word of God, although I was there preparing to be in a, to dedicate my life for a life of ministry, I was I lacked enthusiasm, I lacked the concern, I lost the concern. I was just annoyed at the fact that we're doing this again and again. And if we're honest, apathy is what is influencing the believers in our current world. Our generation, your generation, my generation, the next generation is filled with believers, godly men or or, or men of God and women of God that are filled with apathy when it comes to things that relate to the Lord. And apathy, that there is no concern, that they're okay, that they're okay with not doing anything, that they're okay with other people stepping in, that they're okay with not allowing the Lord, the holy God, to use us as an instrument for his glory. Apathy. In the recognition that godly men cannot allow apathy to dictate how we respond to our calling to make a difference for God. Apathy should not be something that should be present in our life as godly men. That how God makes men, they don't make God doesn't make man with apathy. That is a result of sin. Instead, He made, He created us for good works before the foundation of the world, so that we of the world, so that we may be walking in them. And the call for us as men, if we want to be godly, to allow that burden that God will lay in our hearts, that steering within our hearts for us to follow that, to use that and to become our calling as we serve him each day of our life. As we wrap things up, I want to read again Nehemiah chapter 1 because I want them to, for you to be once again reminded of an individual that had no reason, no right to step up to the plate the way that he did and yet because of this troublesome news, he felt the urge to step up and to do something about it. And what I love about Nehemiah, as we're going to read once more again, is that it says that when he hears the news, this was the, the, train, the train of actions. He sat down, he wept, he knelt down and prayed, and then he got up and went to work. The hope is that as us, godly men, that as we seek to honor God in our, with our life, that we will have the same reaction to when it comes to the news terrible to the news or when we come to the burdens that God will lay in our hearts. That we would have let it to affect us. That we would let us to steer within us. That we would pray for God for help and how to deal with it. And that we would get up and do whatever we must do to follow that calling. Nehemiah chapter 1 verse 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, now it happened in the month of Jislev, in the 20th year, as I was in at the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the providence who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon, as soon. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of the heaven. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steps us love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants... Confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the words that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the othermost parts of the heavens, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name. And give them success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the name in the sight of this man. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray just as Nehemiah. We come before you, Lord, that if there's anyone in this room that has sent this burden that you have laid in our hearts, Lord, to do something... That we will recognize the call to be proactive. To not just be an expectator, Lord. That you have created us before the foundation of the world. That we will walk in good works. That you have laid out plans, Lord. That you have laid out, steering within our hearts. That you have gifted, providing us and equip us with giftedness, Lord. So that we can step up to the plate and do what is required to do, Lord. And I pray just like Nehemiah, Lord, that your ear will be attempted to this prayer. That you will delight yourself in us as your servants. That as we step up to make your name known, Lord, that as we recognize who you are and we fear your name because of your greatness and power, that you will grant us mercy and strength today and every single day to step up to the plate, that we will stop being complacent, that if there's any apathy within us, Lord, that is keeping us from doing what we ought to do, Lord, that we will be faithful just like Nehemiah, that we will follow the example of a man that was willing to give it all up, to follow the call that you have laid in his heart. Father, I pray that whatever that burden is in this room, whether it relates to the world, whether it relates to this country, whether it relates to this church or their family or their life, whatever that burden may be, Lord, I pray that we will be faithful to follow through and to allow it to become a calling in our life to serve you. We pray that you will continue to strengthen us, to gift us with your Holy Spirit, Lord, to allow to do the things that we need to do for your glory. We pray, pray this in your name. Amen.